right, somebody say amen to that worship tonight. Amen. Yeah, that was wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. And because this is a regular weekend service for us, I, I'm going to take just a few minutes, I promise, just a few minutes to take the next step in this special Christmas series that we're in called Once Upon a Time in Bethlehem. We began last week by talking about what I called the backstory of Bethlehem. When we think about Bethlehem this time of year, we think about the birth of Jesus, and rightly so. But we need to be reminded from time to time that it wasn't Bethlehem where the story began. The story began all the way back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, when God, after Adam and Eve disobeyed and sin entered into the world, God made a promise that one day he was going to make all things right again. And the reality of that promise began in earnest for you and me when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And I just want to talk about that for a few minutes. I've got my Bible open to Luke chapter 1 tonight. Uh, and uh, because we always value the public reading of Scripture when we gather together for worship, if you go ahead and stand, if you're able, and listen, I'm going to read just a very brief passage. I'm going to read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, and then I'm going to skip down and read verse 38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And then I'm going to skip down to verse 38. I'm going to read these words. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. All right, you can be seated. We always pray for God to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's talk about Mary for just a couple of minutes. When we meet Mary in Luke chapter 1, she is pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, I told you last week in ancient days that marriage uh, had basically three parts to it. There was the courtship, there was the betrothal, and then there was the marriage ceremony itself. Mary and Joseph were in the betrothal stage when we meet them in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, the betrothal stage could last to up to a year, and during that time, the couple was considered to be legally married in every way, and they were with one exception. They weren't living in the same house, and they weren't sleeping in the same bed. And while we can be sure that both Mary and Joseph probably believed that they knew what their life together was going to be like, how it was going to unfold. They were about to find out that they were wrong. We see that in Luke chapter 1 when what was probably an ordinary day in Mary's life changed when the angel Gabriel showed up and he spoke to her. And he said this to her in verse 28 we just read. He said, greetings, you who are highly favored, or excuse me, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was troubled by those words. But Gabriel spoke again, and this time he said in verse 30, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Now, I don't know if Gabriel said those words because he sensed Mary's fear, or if he said those words because he knew after what he was about to tell her that those were words she was going to need to hang on to, not just in the coming months, but for the rest of her life. He goes on to say, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, I don't have any way of knowing for sure if this is true, but I'm going to give you a little bit of my own speculation about what was going on in that moment. I doubt that Mary understood, fully understood everything that Gabriel said. 
especially the part about the throne of David and the house of Jacob. Maybe she tuned everything out after she heard him say, you will be with child. Who knows? But let me tell you one thing Mary did understand in that moment. She understood that Gabriel was talking about something that was going to happen to her right in that moment. Something was going to, that was going to happen to her right now. And we know that because of her response. Because the first thing she said in Luke chapter 1 and verse 34 was, How will this be since I am a virgin? And so Gabriel gave her an explanation. In verse 35, he said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then he goes on in verse 37 and says, For nothing is impossible with God. And when Mary speaks again, she says, I am the Lord's servant. We just read this. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Well, because we just have a little bit of time, here's what I want you to notice. Here's the one thing I want you to notice and the one thing I want you to hang on to for just a little bit of time. It took a very short period of time, in fact, almost no time at all, for Mary to go from asking Gabriel, how will this be since I am a virgin, to Mary saying, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. And given the circumstances, I think that's pretty amazing. Well, let's talk about Joseph for just a moment. If we were to follow the story in Luke chapter 1, the next thing that happens is Mary goes to visit her relative named Elizabeth who had her own miraculous story of being with child. She was much older than Mary, and she and her husband Zechariah had prayed for years for a child, but they'd remained childless. I wish I had time to talk about that, but I don't. But Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and at the end of that section of Scripture in Luke 1 that tells us about Mary's visit to Elizabeth, Luke chapter 1 and verse 56 tells us that she stayed there with Elizabeth for three months. Well, here's what that means for us in terms of talking about Joseph. When Mary returned home, there was no hiding her pregnancy. It was evident to everyone. And that would have been scandalous, absolutely scandalous, scandalous in the community where Joseph and Mary lived. And it would have brought shame and grief to both of them because people would naturally assume that Mary had betrayed Joseph by having a sexual relationship with another man. And that would have been humiliating to him. That would be humiliating to any husband. According to the law, Joseph had the right to confront Mary, make a public accusation about what was going on, Face, uh, forcing her to face the consequences of her pregnancy, and those were consequences that could possibly lead to death. But he couldn't bring himself to do it. You know the story. We learn why in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 19, because as Matthew writes about Joseph, he says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And what happened next, you know the story is Joseph has a dream, and in the dream, an angel appeared to him, and this is what the angel said. This is Matthew 1, verses 20 and 21. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, here's the deal, friends. Joseph knew that if he were to go through this marriage, his life would never be the same again. Because people would never look at him the same way again. 
We just read in the first part of verse 19 there that Joseph was a righteous man. Joseph knew that if he were to go through with this marriage, no one would ever look at him or view him or talk about him as being a righteous man ever again, never. But in spite of that, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 24 says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. In the end, Joseph decided he wouldn't be concerned about what anyone else thought. And if people wanted to talk, as far as he was concerned, they could talk because he knew that he was obeying God. Now, just like with Mary, because we have a limited amount of time, here's one thing I want you to notice about Joseph. One thing I want you to hang on to. When Joseph woke up, After having that dream, there was no indecision on his part about what to do next. And he immediately took Mary home as his wife. And just like I said about Mary a moment ago, given the circumstances, I think that's pretty amazing. So, what can we learn from those truths? What can we learn from what we were hanging on to about Mary and Joseph. Let me just give you two things real quickly. Uh, The first thing I think we can hang on to is this truth, and I'm going to phrase it just like I'm talking directly to you if it was just you and me in the room. You're more qualified than you think. You're more qualified than you think you are tonight. Let me just ask you a question. Apart from fear, what do you think went through Mary's mind when Gabriel appeared and he spoke these words, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. What do you think went through her mind? Again, this is just speculation on my part, but I think it was probably, you can't be talking to me. Because I'm sure Mary, just given the circumstances of her life, probably thought that she was no one. Certainly not someone who would ever be viewed or spoken of as being favored by God. But that's not what God thought about her. And because of that, she ended up becoming the earthly mother of the Son of God. And so what Mary's story teaches us, or maybe I should say what it reminds us of, is that God uses ordinary people to accomplish his purposes in the world. That means you're more qualified than you think you are. I'm more qualified than I think I am. God uses ordinary people to accomplish his purposes in the world. He uses people who are less than ordinary to accomplish his purposes. He uses people who have nothing special or distinct about their lives. He uses people from broken homes and dysfunctional families. He uses people who don't go to the right schools. He uses people who work in menial jobs. He uses people who never spend a moment of their life in the spotlight. He uses people who make mistakes, people who have failed, and I could go on and on. God uses people the rest of the world doesn't even notice. That was certainly true of Mary. Because it was true of Mary, I believe it's true about you and about me. And that means God has his eye on you. And that God has some kind of plan or some kind of plans for your life. It may not be anything spectacular like it was for Mary. It may not even be something that anyone else notices. But God has a plan for your life. 
and you are more qualified than you think you are. Here's the second lesson. The journey to being a part of God's plan begins today. The journey to being a part of God's plan begins today. I want you to think about something with me. Mary became a, God, Mary became a part of God's plan because at some point before, before Gabriel appeared to her with this incredible message that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, she had already decided she was going to be a servant of God. Let me say that again. Mary became a part of God's plan because at some point before Gabriel appeared to her with the incredible message that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, she had already decided to be a servant of God. Think back to that conversation between Gabriel and Mary. When Gabriel told her that she was going to be with child and give birth to a son, she responded, how will this be since I am a virgin? When Gabriel answered her question by saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, she responded by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. In other words, Mary said yes to God in that moment because she had already said yes to God in the past. And you see the same reality in Joseph's life. Remember, one of the most definitive things that we read about Joseph in Matthew's account of his encounter with an angel is Matthew 1, verse 19, the first part of the verse that said, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Now, I can say the same thing about Joseph that I said about Mary, Joseph obeyed the message from the angel and became a part of God's plan because at some point in his life, I'm sure before he and Mary were even introduced, he had already decided what kind of man he would be. He had already decided he was going to be a righteous man. In other words, Joseph said yes to God in that moment because he had already decided to say yes to God in the past. When we think about the journey that Joseph and Mary made at, or in rather, the Christmas story, we naturally think of the physical journey that they made from their home in Nazareth to Bethlehem. Nazareth was about 80 miles north of Bethlehem. And they did that, as you know, because of the census that Caesar Augustus had decreed. But there was a different kind of journey that both of them had already made. A journey, you might say a journey before the journey that all of them had already made. And that was the journey to complete surrender. Because before Gabriel even spoke to Mary, she decided she was going to be a servant of God. Before the angel even spoke to Joseph, he had made the commitment to be a righteous man. And so when God's plan came along... They were ready. They were prepared. And so what that says for us is that if there's ever going to be an opportunity for us to say yes to God for something special he has for us in the moment, we need to make sure we've already said yes. In the past, or at least today. I want you to pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for a chance to just spend a few minutes uh, focused on a very familiar part of the familiar Christmas story, uh, talking about 
Mary and Joseph and help us to learn from them. Thank you for their lives and help us to, to know that you can use us in spite of all of our faults and flaws to accomplish your purposes in the world. But in order for you to use us, we need to make sure that we have first made the journey of complete surrender in our hearts to you. Remind us of that in this Christmas season, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every weekend in our worship services, we pause to take the Lord's Supper, and uh, we're going to do that tonight. Hopefully, you picked up the communion emblems on your way in uh, tonight. I'm going to read a very brief passage of Scripture uh, that has always stood out to me related to the Christmas story. It's Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. It's not the entire two verses, but it's the two of them together. It says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. The part of that that stands out to me is the way it begins, when the time had fully come. And I share that with you tonight before we take communion because one thing the communion emblems that we hold in our hands should remind us of tonight, and let's, let's think about that. Let's focus on that one thing tonight is that God's timing in the world and in our lives is always perfect. Even when it doesn't make sense to us and we feel like we've been waiting forever, God's timing is always perfect. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. Let's think about that as we partake of the Lord's Supper together tonight. Let me pray. Father, thank you now. And we pray your blessing upon these communion emblems and what they represent. And as we partake, help us to remember that we can trust you because you, your timing is always perfect. In Jesus' name, amen.